Thanks for tuning in to the audio edition of our Sunday sermons. For more information about Cornerstone, visit cornerstonerome.com. When we're talking about stewardship, that's an old-fashioned word that we don't use much anymore, but most of you are stewards. If you work at a bank, you're a steward. If you teach children, you're a steward. If you do daycare, you're a steward. If you are a financial advisor, you're a steward. Um, If you work for the police department or the fire department or or you're an EMT, you're a steward. Because stewardship is a, a simple principle. Peter talked about stewardship of money, so thankfully I don't have to deal with that. He took care of that very well. But stewardship simply means caring for that which belongs to another or managing assets on behalf of another. So if you manage a business, you're a steward. And the fact is that all of us have been given a stewardship. When we accepted Christ, we received many benefits. We received the Spirit of God. We received forgiveness of sins. We received a ministry and gifts and lots of things. But we also receive a stewardship. And uh, Jody asked me to speak about stewardship of the gospel, and that's what we want to talk about today. The text is 1 Corinthians 4, verses 1 and 2. It says, So then men ought to regard us as servants of Christ and as those entrusted with the secret things of God. There are things that you believe that most people in the world don't. And the gap between you and them is getting wider every day, every year. It's uh, a little bit frightening to us old people. Because <laughs> you watched the culture change over 50 years, and the rate of change and the rate of the encroaching of ignorance is astonishing and is frightening. So we're entrusted with the secret things of God. Now it's required that those who have been given a trust must prove faithful. And we want stewards to be on the job. I don't want the uh, fire department to receive a call that my house is on fire and have them say, well, you know, we've got a great meal going here, and as soon as we finish dinner, we'll come over and see what we can do about the fire at your house. If somebody does that, I'm going to be upset. I had the first financial advisor I had was in Alaska. He was a guy that I led to Christ. So we were close. And uh, Robert was a, a good friend, but he was also a financial analyst. And so I gave him some money to be a steward of. He lost it. He didn't lose it, but he didn't make anything. He just kept losing money. And eventually I sat down with him and said, Robert, I love you. You're fired. <laughs> because he was a steward. It wasn't his money. It was our money. And it, was, it wasn't gaining any ground. In fact, it was going away. And that wasn't the purpose of our little arrangement. Uh, and so stewards are called to accountability. Um, and we are accountable for the gospel. And I'm going to give you a simple message. I told uh, Gary and Carolyn, I can only do simple messages. I'm not equipped for anything else. Um, So say to each other, it's about the alls. And probably you should say, y'all, it's about the alls. It's about the alls, y'all. It's all about the alls. And so three texts that use the word all that explain our accountability for the gospel. And there are three beliefs that we're responsible for that the kingdom of this world and perhaps the church no longer believes. It's all about what? 
It's all about all. Romans, Romans 3.23 is the first one. It says, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. There's a lot of people who don't believe that. They believe that people are intrinsically good. The Bible says the heart of man is desperately wicked. And there are people that get offended if you say that. And the idea that there's something wrong in our culture, or if you label something as sin, you're a hater. You're a bigot. If you belong to a religion, and if you're visiting today, this, is not, this church is not a part of a religious organization. It's a family of believers who come together to worship Jesus and to follow him. And that's about as organized as it is. People say, I don't believe in organized religion. I say, well, come, come to our church. Uh, I mean, I said that about our church in Alaska. And, you know, we're not super organized for some structure. We're not asking you to make a pledge of allegiance to some denomination. We're, we're simply followers of Jesus. But there are certain things we believe that we can't back down on and that that really don't change. And so people hear Romans 3.23, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, and say, wow, that's, that's harsh. Religion says if you practice ritual and the rules, we can make you a better person. Christianity says all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And we need Transformation. We need the Spirit of God. We need something outside of ourselves to make things better. And if you believe the world is getting better, we need to talk. <laughs> Dan and I have just traveled you know, for three months to various parts of the world, and the poverty in the world always grinds on me. It's hard for me to accept the idea that there are people living in cardboard boxes when there are people who measure their money with a B. But it's there. And you don't have to look far to see the inhumanity of man to man. You, you, we could talk about Auschwitz and Germany and all that. What about Andersonville? Any of you know where Andersonville is? Yeah, it's here in Georgia. It was a prisoner of war camp in the Civil War, the war against northern aggression. Excuse me. Uh, and 40,000 people were held there. I have a picture of it. I'm not going to show it because you don't come to church to see gruesome things like that. I have a picture of one of the survivors, and he just, he just looks awful. And what happened is that the southern command put people there, worked them to death, starved them to death. 13,000 men died of starvation or disease. Uh, we did that. We don't have to go far to, to Ridge Ferry Park and see the chieftain's house and Trail of Tears and you say, how did people do that? Well, people like you and I did that. And the political situation in our country right now is, is scary because people are so polarized and, and awful things happen when people get into positions like that, when they're able to label the other guy as the enemy and we can do anything to uh, the enemy. Last week was shine a light on slavery week. Aren't you glad that's over? Do you know there's 40 million slaves in the world today? In fact, the International Justice Mission says there are more slaves in the world today than at any other time in history. How do you explain that? We're educated. We're sophisticated. 
We're wealthy. We're evil. The heart of man is desperately wicked. And what one man will do for, to another man if he feels threatened is, is horrible. And the only thing that's an antidote to that is the gospel. It's the only thing that changes the heart of a person. The International Justice Mission says there are 40 million slaves worldwide, 25 million at forced labor, including children. They enslave children because they can send them into holes in the ground that adults can't fit into in, in mines around the world. I got a report from South Sudan this, in the news this week. Uh, they're talking about horrible deformities, children born without heads, uh, children born without limbs, children born with six fingers, and it's the oil industry in South Sudan. And they know that the chemicals they're using are toxic and cause cancer and cause birth defects and cause um, infertility. But the people have no value. They're there for the money. 40 million slaves, 25 million at hard labor, 15 million in enforced uh, marriages. They've even placed a value on slaves. $90. Isn't that horrible? A slave in the world today is worth $90. And then people try to say, no, no, people aren't wicked. People aren't evil. That whole notion of sin, that's so old-fashioned. That's, that's, that's hater. No, it's not. That's the truth. That's the reality. That's the only logical explanation for the mess the world is in. And there's only one solution. And in a way that's mind-boggling and amazing, God says, I'm counting on you. You say, God, what's your plan? How are you going to fix the world? The local church. I'm going to create a place where people can love each other and hold each other accountable and help each other uh, overcome the evil in their lives. I'm going to make a place where people can gather in small groups and, and support each other. I'm going to make a place that can make a difference. And there's an old story where some angel comes and tells a guy that and said, what's plan B? And he says, there is no plan B. The local church is the hope of the world. And the only thing that we saw as we traveled the world that was hopeful were churches, where Christians, in spite of opposition and in spite of uh, uh, persecution, meet week after week to serve Jesus. All have sinned. Number two, all will be judged by God. It's a continuation of the same text, Romans three twenty four. And they're justified freely by his grace through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. God presented him as a sacrifice of atonement through faith in his blood. He did this to demonstrate his justice because in his forbearance, he had left the sins committed. Oh, I, for, I forgot something. Put that map up. I've got I to finish my previous thought. Sorry. Put the map up. Okay. The places where you see color are various forms of slavery in the world. Do you notice where it's not at? It's in South America, it's in Africa, it's in Asia, it's in Europe, it's, it's in 
most North America. What's true about North America that's not true about a lot of other places? Look around here at street corners and back roads and intersections. There are churches and churches and churches and churches. Look at the rest of the world. We can't let the missionary movement die out. We're the hope of the world. Okay, all will be judged by God. Back to, back to what I was supposed to be doing. We're justified freely by His grace through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. God presented Him as a sacrifice of atonement uh, through His blood, through faith in His blood. He did this to demonstrate His justice because in His forbearance He had left the sins committed beforehand unpunished. He did it to demonstrate his justice at the present time so as to be just and the one who justifies those who have faith in Jesus. So this explains what's going on. We fly over slums and I say, God, what? How do you explain this? And God says, I'm letting sin run its course. I'm just, I'm allowing sins committed to go unpunished at the moment for the sake of free will. I have to give them a choice. And the end result of that choice is this horror that they commit against each other. But it's not always going to be that way. There's coming a time of justice. 2 Corinthians 5, 10 and 11 says, For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that each one may receive what is due him for the deeds done while in his body, whether good or bad. Since then we know what it is to fear the Lord. We try to persuade men. And so I have people say to me, I can't believe in a God who would send people to hell. I can't believe in a God who would punish people. I can't believe in a God who would not punish evil. I don't want to live in a world that doesn't have the hope that someday God will set things right. The message of the Bible is that nobody ever got away with anything. God's just waiting for his time. And there's a time coming, there's a day, and the day is already scheduled, the time is set, it's already on the calendar, and the Father knows when it is, when he's going to call all things into accounting, and you want him to do it. Go to a little league game and have dad's favorite star athlete get a bad call by the ref. What's dad saying? Kill the ump! Or, you... You need, new, you need to get new glasses if you can't see that. What's wrong with you? And you see all this anger coming up. Why? Because of injustice. And that's small potatoes compared to slavery. There's a lot of things that God is going to set right someday. The fact is nobody ever got away with anything. And it's one of the factors of the gospel that is not optional. And you say, well, you're saying God called us to be haters? No. I'm saying God called us to have a reasonable explanation for the mess this world is in and a message of hope that God is going to come and set things right. You ever felt the best feeling in the world? Let me tell you the best feeling in the world, almost. Other than being able to love my wife and spend time with her. It's going down Maple Road, 40 miles an hour. A guy comes up behind me, rides right on my bumper, flashes his lights, gives me a single-digit salute, (laughs) 
and roars out around me. I was going speed limit. Deanna was with me. That's not the best feeling in the world. The best feeling in the world is two blocks down when he's sitting beside the road and there's lights flashing. (laughs) And and I'm going, yes! And there's going to be a whole bunch of people on Judgment Day saying, yes, God came through. The horrible thing that happened to me, the horrible thing that nobody could fix in this life, God is going to call people to accounting. Those people who didn't care about all the polluting chemicals in the oil field, those people who enslaved little children, those people who trafficked children. Do you know 55% of the economy of Thailand is based on recruiting little boys for men from all over the world to come and molest? 55% of their economy. They've measured it. They know it. Somebody's accountable for that. Whoever measured that needs to step up and say, this is wrong. Somebody needs to say in in lots of government halls around this world, there's a God in heaven who sits on a throne and he's going to bring to judgment all of these atrocities that are being committed. Nobody ever got away with anything. Don't tell me you can't believe in a God who would punish evil. I can't believe in a God who won't punish evil. See, if God doesn't punish evil, he's not just. And if he's not just, he's not loving. And we can't have a God who loves us if we don't want a God who punishes us. How many of you parents have discovered that you can't love your children and refuse to punish them? What are you going to get if you don't? I mean, you know what you get. You get a two-year-old. You know, that, that is only they're, they're 15. You get a two-year-old that's 25. Because nobody ever told them, stop it. Nobody ever said, you know, if you don't stop that, I'm pulling the car over. And then actually pulled the car over and, and took care of things. And we serve a God who's going to pull over time and say, time's over, time's up. Now it's time to correct things. And he's going to correct things. All will be judged by God. That is one of the truths that we're responsible for to steward. But there's hope. Number three, all are forgiven. All are forgiven. Hebrews 9, 26 through 28. But now he, now he Jesus, has appeared once for all. Who does that include? All. It's a simple thing. All have sinned, all will be judged, and all have been forgiven. Forgiveness is available for everyone. What's mind-blowing is there are people who won't take it, who won't accept it. Jesus came and he was all about forgiveness. He said to the lame man brought down before him, your sins are forgiven. What was he doing? He was stating a fact. I'm here. I'm here to take care of this problem. And I'm going to take care of it. And he did on the cross. And forgiveness for all was the step. There's nobody who ever lived. There's nobody who's alive now who can't be saved. Because Jesus died once for all. Now Jesus has appeared once for all at the end of the ages to do away with sin. So there's no new covenants. There's no change in God's revelation. It's all been done. It's all established. Now he's appeared at the end of the ages to do away with sin by the sacrifice of himself. Just as man is destined to die once and after that to face judgment, 
So Christ was sacrificed once to take away the sins of many people, which is a phrase that really means all. And he will appear a second time, not to bear sin, but to bring salvation to those who are waiting for him. Salvation is available for all. That map, everybody on that map, the whole world, Jesus died for them. And the sacrifice of Jesus, God's one and only perfect son, is equal to every horrible, terrible, sinful thing that's ever been done. He paid the price for it all. Romans 10, 8 through 15. But what does it say? The word is near you. It's in your mouth and in your heart. That is the word of faith we're proclaiming, that if you confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and believe with your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. And the scripture says, notice the all words here now. The scripture says, anyone, turn to the person next to you and say, that's all. That's all. Who trusts in him will never be put to shame, for there's no difference between Jew and Gentile. The same Lord is Lord of and richly blesses who call on him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. So, we have to say these unpopular things like all sin, everybody's a sinner, human beings are wicked, the heart of a man or a woman is desperately wicked. We don't have to see a world map about slavery, we don't have to see Andersonville, we don't have to see all the atrocities committed, we just have to look into our own hearts and there's times where we find repentance and we say, where did that come from? Where did that come from? Where did that urge, where did that temptation, where did that behavior, where did that come from? And I go back to the basic truth that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And I'm not out of here yet. I haven't been completely sanctified yet. God isn't finished with me yet. But there's a day coming when he will judge the world in righteousness. And he'll offer salvation to everyone who will accept it, anyone who will accept it. So here's the stewardship challenge. Paul continues, Romans 10, 14. How then shall they call on the name of the one they have not believed in? And how will they believe in the one of whom they have not heard? And how can they hear without someone preaching to them? So he says, God calls people to salvation. That's great good news. But then he asks them to be stewards. Take that simple truth that you've learned and that has changed your life, and that has brought forgiveness to your heart, and share it. We are stewards of the gospel. The life of the local church is the life of God in the community. The life of the local church gives God an address where people have a right to go and say, at that address on Mathis Drive, God lives there. If I need to find God, I can go there, because he'll be there. And that's an awesome privilege and an awesome assignment for the local church. If you come, God will show up and he'll meet you there. Now, how can they call on the one they've not believed in? They can't. How shall they believe in the one whom they've not heard? They won't. And so we are those stewards Imagine that you are a research scientist. It's no stretch. You're smart, right? You're a research scientist, and you have come up with this vial of medicine 
that's a cure for cancer. It's the ABCD antibody, and it'll cure any kind of cancer. And you find out that your next door neighbor has stage four cancer. And so you go over there and you say, man, I'm so sorry to hear that you're sick. I brought you some food. Good for you. That's a nice person. You brought him a meal. And you say, uh, "What? you need anything done around here? I know you're sick and you don't feel like taking care of things. And so he said, well, I haven't been able to mow the lawn for a couple months. And it's getting out of hand. Oh, my, my boy and I will be over here. We'll take care of it. And you go over and you mow the lawn, you rake it, and you edge it, and you just make it look beautiful, and you, you, you go in and you tell him, hey, took care of the lawn, glad we could help. And the guy says, man, I'm so grateful. And even, you're such a nice person, and you're a Christian person, and so you say, would it be right if we pray for you? And he says, hey, yeah, what have, what have I got to lose? And so you pray for him, and you go home. The whole time you've got this vial in your pocket, what kind of friend are you? And what kind of responsibility do you have? I said earlier, you call the EMTs, and the EMTs say, well, you know, it's not convenient for us to come right now, but we'll be there in, or give us about an hour. Is that acceptable? No. You're going to say, hey, you work for the county. That means you work for us. Get yourself over here. We've got an emergency. An emergency means somebody needs to respond. When? Immediately. Yeah. We, we don't expect stewards, you know, if, if, if my financial advisor is losing my money and I say, what's going on with the money? And say, oh, I haven't had time to look at it for a couple months. Let me call you back. I'm going to say, don't call me back. Just, you're fired. We, we expect stewards to be accountable. And we expect them to steward whatever it is that they've been given when trust from someone else. You don't expect... To, to go in and when your kid's in fourth grade and have the teacher say, you know, we never did get around to teaching them to read. And you say, what? How long have you known this? Well, the whole year. Well, why didn't you call me before now? Well, I was busy. Doing what? I wasn't teaching kids to read. And, and you're going to go down to the principal's office and say, I want that kid. If you need to, put him back in first grade. But do whatever you need to do because I brought him here to learn the ABCs. I brought him here to learn to read. And he's not learning to read, and, and you've got to help me. You now the parent needs to step up. But we expect stewards to be accountable. And we hold stewards accountable. Now, is it reasonable to believe that God would give us this vial that contains the ABCD of the gospel and not hold us accountable for using it? And is it reasonable to expect somebody else to do it but we're gonna we're gonna let jody take care of that oh okay is jody the only one in the house that knows the secret no we all do we we're in this amazing situation where you know imagine this is the cure for the coronavirus and i've got it in my pocket and i'm reading the news saying you know those fools they they can't figure it out I've got it right here. Oh, 1,700 dead. Well, tough luck. I, I'm holding on to this because if it ever comes to my house, I'm, I'm locking the door, and me and my antibody are going to ward them off. I'm armed. I'm ready.
Who has sinned? Who's going to be judged? Who's been forgiven? That's our message. It's that simple. Jesus told a parable. We're going to end with that. In Matthew 22, I'm not going to read the whole thing. It's, it's a story, and like all of Jesus' stories, it's easy to tell. He spoke a parable. This is uh, Matthew 22, 1. The kingdom of heaven is like a king who prepared a wedding banquet for his son. So he sent his servants out to all of their relatives and acquaintances and business partners, the people that would be reasonably expected to show up. And they all made excuses and said, boy, June 15th, can't do it. I mean, I've got, I'm having my hair done. Uh, I've got an appointment to have my toenails you know, manicured. Uh, I, I just can't be there. And so all the people who should have come, who should have made arrangements and changed their, their life to get there, all refused the invitation. And so the king said, well, I'm going to honor my son, and I'm going to do a lavish feast, and somebody's going to eat this stuff, and somebody's going to congratulate my son and his bride on their wedding. And so he says, go out into the highways and the hedges, along the roadside, invite everybody to come. And so the day of the wedding comes, and there's a guy at the wedding who's not wearing a wedding garment, because everybody who was invited to the wedding was given a wedding garment. And here's a guy in the banquet who's not wearing the wedding garment. And the way the story goes is the king says, how did that guy get in here? How could anybody get in here without the wedding garment? And that's the whole puzzle of this story. And he, said, he takes the guy that came in without a wedding garment, tosses him out. Says the requirement to get into this wedding was the wedding garment. You chose not to wear it, so you're out of here. And it says there was weeping and wailing and gnashing of teeth. The guy's just in, in agony because he blew it. The thing that I haven't found in any commentary is how did the guy get in there? I mean, if, if everybody who's getting in is required to have the garment on, how do you get in without the garment? I'm going to tell you. Somebody like me said, well, you're a good friend. You're a nice guy. Come on in. Don't worry about the garment. I'll, I'll let you. And some misguided person thought he was being a good buddy. Somebody said, well, you're my, grand, you're my grandchild. I know you're a rebel and troublemaker and you got, you got real issues, but you're my grandchild. Come on in. You don't have to have the garment. I'll, I'll cover it for you. Just come on in. Oh, you're my next-door neighbor. We've been neighbors for years. Uh, hey, come on in. Don't worry about it. Is that a friend? No, because the king is looking for that wedding garment, and when he finds people who don't have it, he judges them and says, you're out of here. And so the well-meaning people who said, don't worry about it, were really the enemy. The worst thing you can do is tell someone, hey, you know, the Bible says that everybody has sinned and come short of the glory of God and going to be accountable, but you're a nice person. You know who does that? I do. You do. We do. I all, you all, we all, however you say that. We don't want to believe that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. We don't want to believe that 
everyone is going to be judged by God and that God is going to punish evil, not because he wants to, not because he loves to, not because that's his, his uh, desire. He has to. In order to establish righteousness, in order to justify anyone, he has to judge. He has to be just. In order to be the justifier, he has to be just. And he has established his justice beyond all question at the cross. When they were filming the Jesus movie, uh, Jim Caviezel was playing Jesus, and he and his accountability partner went up on the hill where the portrayal of Golgotha was going to be in Morocco where they were filming the film. And they had three crosses already set in place. And they went up there to do some devotions because the next day Jim was going to be hanging on one of those crosses. And the fact they had to take him down because they thought he was going to die just because the reenactment of it was so horrible. But the night before they were there and there were Muslims sitting all around that shelf weeping, looking at the cross and weeping. There are people all around the world who just get a glimpse of the message of Christ, who just get a little taste of the cross, and it breaks their hearts. And, and too many believers just say, oh, well, don't worry about it. Come on in. They somehow bought the idea that good people don't have a thing to worry about. And, and that's true, but there aren't any good people. Not according to the gospel, not according to God. There are no good people. They're just sinners who either receive forgiveness and transformation through the work of Jesus on the cross and the power of the Holy Spirit, or they're just nasty. And every once in a while, history allows that nastiness to come out, and I hope it doesn't in my lifetime, but I'm afraid it will. And that we'll see here what we see in so many parts of the world. And the only people tasked with the job of changing that is us. The local church is the hope of the world. The gospel is as simple as A, B, C, D. Let's put it on the screen. Admit you're a sinner in need of a Savior. That's A. B, believe exclusively on Jesus Christ as God's Son. You say, well, that's bigoted. No, it's not. How many of you are old enough to remember when Christian Barnard did the first heart transplant? How many of you have read about it as ancient history? Okay, younger people. Was it bigoted to say at that point, if you want a heart transplant, you've got to go to South Africa, and Christian Barnhart is the only one in the world who can help you? Is that a bigoted statement? No. It's a statement of fact. He was the only person on planet Earth who had ever successfully done a heart transplant. And to say, if you want a heart transplant, you've got to go to South Africa, you've got to go to Christian Barnard, you've got to let him do the surgery because he's the one who can do it. And saying Jesus Christ is God's only begotten son and the savior of the world is not a bigoted statement. It's a statement of fact. That's B. C, confess publicly your faith in Christ. You can't be a secret believer. And then demonstrate decisively your allegiance to Jesus by repenting of sin publicly and being baptized. A, B, C, D. It's pretty simple. We're going to give an opportunity for you to do that. I want the worship team to come back up. And 
The gospel is just that simple, A, B, C, D. It's just saying, I, I know I'm a, savior, a sinner in need of a Savior. I know that God sent Jesus to be that Savior. He's the only one that God sent. I acknowledge my need and my commitment to follow Jesus. I commit myself to be a disciple. I confess publicly my faith. And I want to demonstrate decisively my allegiance to Jesus by repenting of sin and being baptized. It's that simple. That ABCD is the simple solution for what's wrong with the world. So simple, but so profound. So if you need to accept Christ, we're going to offer you the opportunity to do that today. But I have another ask. For 40 years, I've used this gospel presentation with hundreds of people. My friend Joe is watching online today. Joe and I went through this, and I baptized him in his hot tub. He was my realtor. Now he's my friend. Uh, over and over again, I've seen people come to Christ. And if you would join me for a Sunday afternoon and evening and a Monday night, sometime this spring, I would love to present how to do relational evangelism, the relational evangelism seminar. How many of you would show up if I got Jody to let us do that? Okay, you see that, Jody? All right. Yeah. And it's, it, it is fun. It's basically you just learn how to read through it with uh, someone. Uh, we talk about how to approach people and who to approach. And it, it, it's really a, 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 an accountability uh, study. It's really uh, a stewardship lesson to say, if I'm responsible for this, I should learn how to do it. If I'm responsible for sharing this, I should equip myself to be confident that I can. And so that's what I'm asking of you. Would you stand? And we're going to pray. And just as our custom is here every week, just bow your head and close your eyes. If you know that you need to accept Christ, you need to uh, make Jesus your Savior today, accept the fact that he is your Savior and your sins have been forgiven. God is offering you a gift of the forgiveness of sin. He's just saying, please, accept it. If you want to accept it today, raise your hand that I can see it and know that. Anybody? All right, let's pray the prayer. Just pray after me. God, I admit that I'm a sinner in need of a Savior. I believe that Jesus Christ is your one and only Son. And I confess today my faith in Him. And it is my desire from this moment on to be a disciple and follow Jesus. Thank you for saving me. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you. We hope you were blessed by today's message. If so, feel free to pay it forward and share this podcast with someone else. Thanks for listening.